So the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. The Lord was grieved that he had been made in the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them, but Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rims in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 450 feet long, 65 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for it and finish the ark to within 18 inches of the top. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark. You and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God had commanded him. What a lovely story. <laughs> it's just what you want on a Sunday afternoon, a nice, happy, uplifting story. Something you'd be happy to tell your children, right? I imagine you're probably fairly familiar with this story. Even if you've um, not really been around church very much, even if you've not read the Bible very much, most people know a bit about Noah and his ark. This lovely story of animals and happy, smiley people and kangaroosies, roosies. So, somehow this book about a 600-year-old man called Noah, a boat full of animals and a planet of people drowning, has entered into our kids' storybook. But let's be honest, this isn't a great kids' story, is it? Imagine thousands in thousands of years' time, you're tucking great-great-great-grandson Jimmy into bed, and he turns to you and says, Daddy, please, 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 can we have the one about the tsunami again? Or maybe, please, please, tell us the one about Hurricane Katrina with the kangaroosies, roosies. Generally, when we think about Noah, we think about animals, hence why we played the game at the beginning. 
perhaps rightly so, given that most of the time we tell this story, we tell it to people that are about this high. But most of the retellings of this story don't really focus on the nitty-gritty, the difficult issues that are in this passage. And this is perhaps not the most palatable story in the Christian Bible. And it's not one that I looked forward to preaching about with enthusiasm. But that's not to say we can't engage with it. It's not to say we can't learn from it and that we can't be encouraged by it. In fact, the writer of uh, the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament told us that this man, Noah, is someone that we should hold up as an example of real faith in God. Listen to what he says about him. He starts off by defining faith. He says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then he goes on to list lots of people that can be seen as examples of this kind of faith. And in verse 7 he goes on, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So according to this letter to the Hebrews, Noah is someone who is a hero of the faith. Someone listed alongside Moses and Abraham and David as people that experienced the favour of God, people that stood out in their generation and served as encouragements for the Jewish people and then later the Christian converts from Judaism of how to be in relationship with God. And so I'm aware that there are lots of issues surrounding this passage and the early chapters of Genesis. How should we approach this? Was there really a worldwide flood or was there a local flood? Did every human on the planet die? Is this just an allegory? Was he really 600 years old when he went onto the ark and 900 years old when he died? I think regardless of where we stand on these issues, we can take something from this passage, which can be encouraging to our own understanding of faith and of God. So deliberately, um, I'm going to avoid those issues for this week. So um, if you're the person that thinks, oh, I wish he was going to talk about the historical genesis, then I'm afraid um, you're going to have to postpone that for now. But if you're the person that thought, oh, not one of those really boring, dry talks about whether the Bible should be treated literally or not, you can, you can sigh a sigh of relief. Today, we're going to think about the question, who is Noah? What can we learn from this man who is lifted up to us as a hero of the faith? So this story of this man, Noah, um, and of his life, starts against the backdrop of the first few chapters of Genesis. So you should be fairly familiar with this, but God creates human beings in his image to share relationship with him. And Genesis tells us that human beings became separated from God. They rejected him and attempted to forge a life by themselves. And then shortly after the story of creation, we have the first recorded murder in the Bible. Cain kills his brother Abel. By the time we get to the story of Noah, the earth is becoming populated with more and more people. And with that comes more and more rebellion against God. In fact, in Genesis chapter 6, it tells us, um, God says that every inclination of the thoughts of man was only ever evil all of the time. 
And because of this, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth, and his heart was filled with pain. The separation between humanity and God was broken, and the result of this was a grieving God. A God that desired to be in full relationship with his creation, but a God that was separated from that. But we're told in chapter 6, verse 8, that this one man, Noah, found favour in the eyes of the Lord. Against this backdrop of horrendous evil stood one man with a glimmer of hope for humanity. And this is the account of Noah, we're told, in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. And he walked with God. From the outset of this series, of these five talks, when we're going to look at different themes that recur in the story of Noah, let me just say that Noah was not perfect by any means. Noah was a person that was part of this broken humanity that was separated from God. And as we'll see later on in the story, Noah was someone that made mistakes of his own. But somehow, through all of this, Noah found favour with God. And I'm not sure that's just because Noah uh, did something really amazing that impressed God, or that um, he just worked really hard and managed to win his way into God's good books. Actually, I think the key to understanding the favour is that Noah walked with God. It says in verse 9, Noah walked with God. Noah, against the backdrop of people that were separated from God, looked to God for help. He trusted in God when he was weak, even when it made him appear foolish. So if nothing else, if we learn nothing else from today, we should learn that Noah was someone that trusted in God. So what do we learn from this trust, from this walking with God, from this story? Well, it tells us in verse 9, and then again in verse 22, that Noah did everything that God had commanded him. Noah was obedient to the voice of God. He listened to God, and he understood what he had to do, and he did it. Simple, right? So I don't know if you saw the Noah movie that came out last year. I know there was a lot of controversy surrounding it, but I actually enjoyed it. Um, So I would recommend it. It is a difficult watch. Um, There are some quite harrowing scenes, which you could imagine from reading um, this book in the Bible. But actually, um, perhaps it's not the most accurate retelling. I mean, um, I'm pretty sure Hermione from Harry Potter doesn't show up anywhere in Genesis. I'd have to check again, but uh, I'm pretty sure. And also, there are these massive, giant stone angels which go around trampling trampling people to death, which is pretty cool, but um, is a little bit of a stretch from what we see in Genesis. But actually, what I found really interesting about this retelling of Noah is the way that the director, Darren Aronofsky, interpreted what it meant for Noah to hear the voice of God. So whenever I've read this um, book in the past, I've always imagined God booming down from the sky with his loud voice, sounding probably like Liam Neeson. That's how I imagined God in my head. And And reciting these exact words to Noah, word by word. But actually, interestingly, in the film... Um, Noah has to figure out what God is saying to him. Hearing the voice of God isn't um, straightforward or easy. And that really resonated with me. If I had to write down my life story, um, 
over the past 10 years, I, I might be able to point you to the moments when I felt like God was speaking clearly to me. Uh, the, the moment I decided to do the degree that I decided to do. The moment that I decided the person that I wanted to marry. The moment that I decided that I wasn't finished with university and was going to stay on for another five years. <laughs> but if you put my entire life into three chapters, you could probably see God speaking clearly and loudly to me. But actually, if you live my life, which none of you can, but if you could, you'd know that hearing the voice of God isn't easy. I don't know if you find that, but hearing the voice of God is difficult. And sometimes I've not known whether God wants me to go this way or that way, or whether God is just saying, I don't really mind which way you go, go either way. And sometimes I feel like I make the voice of God up in my head, and other times I feel like God is speaking clearly to me. A few years ago, I, was, uh, I took myself off on a bike ride. I don't know if you know, the, uh, there's, a, there's a lovely bike ride from the Roundtree Park down to Selby. Um, and so I was on a bike ride, and I just suddenly felt this, this feeling in my head. I suddenly thought God was saying to me, find that church in Selby and go and knock on the door. I want you to speak to the person in that church. So I thought, oh, good, you know. This doesn't happen to me. This is what happens to people like Miriam Swaffield. This is, this is not the sort of thing that I do. So I thought, right, I'm going to go and I'm going to proclaim the word of the Lord to the Selby Church. So I arrive at the church and uh, it looks like I imagined it to look in my head. And uh, I come up to the door and it's locked. So I thought, oh, that's strange. Maybe, I mean, maybe someone's waiting inside. So uh, I just knocked on the door a few times, right? And nothing happened. So I thought, well, uh, maybe I'll just try again. So I must have waited about five minutes and nothing happened. And then I noticed, ah, there's, there's a vicarage next door to this church. God probably wants me to go speak to the person in the vicarage, doesn't he? That was it. So I um, walked next door. I didn't just open the door on this occasion because that probably is not as appropriate. And I uh, knocked on the door again. And no one answered. And I probably stood there about 10 minutes trying to find someone, just anyone to talk to, just so that I could feel like I'd fulfilled that word from the Lord in my head. But actually, nothing happened. And I cycled back home, and I felt a little bit uh, dejected. In my head, I made up some crazy story about maybe there was someone doing something really naughty inside, and they heard the knock on the door, and they thought, God has convicted me. Um, but probably, um, I was just wrong. I mean, that, that's probably what happened. I probably imagined the whole thing myself. So sometimes I think God's speaking to me and he isn't. Um, sometimes I don't think God's speaking to me and he is. Just the other day I was sat in my office um, writing a paper about imitating Christ, uh, which is, if you want to know what philosophers do, that's what I do. I write papers. Um, so I was sitting there writing a paper and suddenly, just for no reason, in my head I just thought, you know what? This friend of mine, they would really like to read this paper. I mean, I don't know why I thought that, because um, they've never read any philosophy or expressed any interest in philosophy. Um, so I just kind of dismissed it. And as I was writing this paper, and uh, maybe four or five hours went by, I just kept thinking of this person. Um, and it was really strange. And then, all of a sudden, um, their face appeared on my phone, and they rang me up um, in floods of tears saying that um, something awful had happened, they're going to have to go spend some time with their family, they were really upset, they didn't really know who to ring, 
Um, and I said, that's really strange, because I've just been thinking about you all day. And the person replied, uh, that's amazing. It's really amazing that God cares so much about me um, to put you on my heart. So actually, that sort of occasion seemed pretty trivial. It might seem pretty trivial to you. But actually, in the moment, it was incredibly significant. Um, And I felt really convicted to pray for my friend. So actually, my life lived forwards looks really messy. It looks like God speaking to me. It looks like me thinking God speaks to me when he's not speaking to me. It looks like me thinking God's not speaking to me when he is speaking to me. And just generally, me being confused whether God's speaking to me or not. So here in the book of Genesis, we have the highlight reel of God speaking to Noah. These are the good bits. Actually, we don't really get a picture of what it looks like to struggle with the voice of God here. And and maybe if you put my life in five pages, you'd think that it was quite obvious what God had said to me over the course of my life. But actually, it's much more difficult than that sometimes. But the key here is that God asks us to walk with him. Noah walked with God, both when it was obvious and it was not. This command comes 500 years into Noah's life. Whatever we are to make of that, it comes, it comes towards the, the latter half of Noah's life. But we know that Noah was a man that walked with God. So did Noah only walk with God when God commanded him? Or was Noah someone that walked with God regardless? So I'm not planning to open the can of worms of whether God speaks differently in the Old Testament and the New Testament. I think that's a really interesting issue, um, but I'm deliberately going to avoid another big issue, if that's all right with you. Um, It might be the case that actually Noah just heard God really clearly and went and did it. Um, But maybe it took him a while to figure out. I don't know. But what we can learn is that Noah was obedient. He came to this understanding of what God was saying, and he did it. Okay, so you've heard the voice of God, right? Suppose it's not that confusing. we figured out what's happening. God said, go and build an ark. I know it hasn't rained for a long, long time, but it's gonna, so you best get building an ark. Okay, so, I mean, how would you respond to that? Maybe you'd go ahead building it. Maybe you'd go and gather some wood. Maybe you'd get your measurements right. You'd get an architect to draw up some blueprints. Maybe, what about one year later, when the ark is beginning to take shape. You're looking to the sky every now and again, and you're thinking, is it going to rain any time? I wonder. Two years have passed. The ark could probably float by now. It could probably fit a fair few animals in it as well. I mean, it's not finished, but you've got this nagging feeling that maybe the flood isn't going to come. I mean, did God really say build an ark? Maybe you heard him wrong. Maybe he said build a park. I mean, that would be more suitable for animals. So, ten years have passed. You've been working on this big, enormous ship for ten years now, and maybe there are still things that could be done. You've not put the underfloor heating in yet, you've not put the onboard cinema in. But actually, this is a pretty good vessel. This could hold a lot of animals, and this could probably keep us safe. When do you stop believing that God's commanded you to do this? Ten years? 20 years? 30 years? To be honest with you, if I thought that I'd heard God bellow from the sky, even if he'd sent me an email which I had saved on my phone, I think I'd start to begin to doubt by now. 
And experts have reckoned from the text that it could have taken Noah even as long as 120 years to build this boat. We're very good at being obedient when God speaks. But, but that's the easy bit. It's easy to walk closely with God when we know what he's saying, when we know what he wants us to do. But what about when the time passes? What about that when that thing sounds ex- that sounded really exciting to you, that job opportunity? What about when it loses its sparkle? What about when the dream job becomes quite difficult to get up for in the morning? What about that friend that you felt really convicted to speak to and spend time with and build a friendship with? What about when they start getting a bit annoying and they're draining you a bit and it's exhausting? What does obedience look like then? Well, let's look back at Noah. Often when I think of being obedient to God, I think about sitting in a quiet room for hours and meditating on the Bible being one of those spiritual people. The people that are called to do God's work are the vicars, the evangelists, the children's workers, and the student workers. Not the mums, not the builders, not the teachers, not the doctors, especially not the philosophers. We've somehow made walking with God and hearing the voice of God into this glamorous position that only the Christian celebrities of our culture, the Christian celebrities of our church, only these people, the Christian Salvaratnams, the Tim Kellers, the Mike Pilavachis, these are the obedient people. I just go to work. Yet here we have one of the earliest stories in the entire Bible One of the first people that's called to do the work of God, to be obedient to the voice of God. And what did he do? He builds boats and he shovels poo. Let's be honest. He gets splinters. He stinks of sweat. He's got blisters on his hands. He looks a bit like Russell Crowe. He spends all of his time cutting down trees, nailing bits of wood, cleaning animals, stopping the lions, eating the rabbits. This is as far from a Christian celebrity as you could get. He's not neat and polished. He's rough and ready. He's dirty and hard-working. Walking with God, being obedient, doesn't mean you have to give up everything that you're already doing, leave your job, and come and work for G2. It might mean that for some of you, right? But God needs people that are going to shovel poo for him. He needs people that are going to build boats for him. He needs people to teach children for him, to fix train tracks for him, to build houses for him, to cook food to him, to do accountancy spreadsheets for him. Walking with God and being obedient can be as practical and as simple as getting up every morning and doing that thing, that job, looking after the children, doing the thing which God has called you to do and doing it well. The pastor, Tim Keller, says that there may be no better way to love your neighbour, whether you are writing parking tickets, software or books, than simply to do your work. But only skillful, competent work will do. Being obedient to God is hard work. It requires perseverance. And it, sometimes it feels a little bit like we expect God to work like a sat We're going along and we just say, what am I doing next, God? 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 Am I still on the right track? But actually, God isn't a technology He's a relationship. We enter into a relationship with him. Noah perseveres. 
So we don't know if God spoke to Noah again, if he commanded him to do anything else. We don't know if God spoke to him after that first occasion, um, when there was no sign of rain. But we do know that Noah kept building, and it took him years and years and years. Sometimes I feel a little bit like I'm up for the call, but I'm not really up for the hard work. I don't know if you ever feel like that. So I know that this is true for me. So um, when I started um, doing my PhD, when I, um, I first decided that I really feel like I should be in, stay in philosophy and stay in education, um, I, I'd applied for two lots of funding, and I'd been rejected from both of them. And by the time I handed my master's thesis in, at the end, uh, in the middle of September, um, I was flipping burgers in, um, in a cafe, full-time. And to be honest, I doubted everything that I'd prayed for over that past year. And then right at the end of September, um, just a couple of days before I was about to go to a job interview, I got a phone call saying that um, the department had just decided to award another scholarship um, and that they decided to give it to me. And in that moment, I couldn't have been sure that this was the right place for me to be, that God had provided for me. But 18 months later, with a 70,000-word thesis still to write, it's sometimes difficult to be that sure. It's sometimes difficult to know that God calls us to things. It's difficult to build the ark when the rain isn't coming. But this is so important that we keep walking with God. In his journal, Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said, it is a poor husband who was jubilant during the period of engagement and the first period of marriage but complains about the institution when the difficulties come. These are part of the institution. Similarly, it is also a poor Christian who complains about being a Christian because of the difficulties, for they are part of the institution. I find that really difficult to swallow. I don't know about you. But actually, it's difficult being a Christian, it's difficult persevering with the call of God. And there are some of us here that know what God has called them to, that feel like God has spoken to them directly, um, or maybe confirmed it through circumstances, or maybe they just feel like they're in the right place at the right time, whether that's their job, their family, their church, or maybe something more specific. And I just want to encourage you to keep going. It's meant to be difficult. It's not meant to be straightforward all the time. But don't forget to walk with God. It's more difficult to keep building the ark when the rain isn't coming. Or maybe, actually, you feel like God never speaks to you. I know that I felt like this at times. Like, I don't really know what you mean, Josh, about God speaking to me, God confirming things to me. You're not really sure what it means for God to speak to you. Let's remind ourselves of those words that we heard in verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. As I mentioned earlier, it was 500 years, according to this passage, before Noah told God to build the ark. And this is the highlight reel. This doesn't involve the struggles and the difficulties of hearing God's voice. Noah didn't get this specific command till the end of his life. But we're told that Noah walked faithfully. Noah walked even 
when he wasn't sure what God was saying. And even um, when we're facing the empty room, and we're not really sure what to even pray, never mind what God might be saying, it's important here that we still keep faithful, that we keep reminding ourselves of who God is, that we keep persevering in prayer. And if you, if you don't know what God is saying to you, here's a bit of advice for you. Open up Matthew chapter 6. Do not worry about your life. Open up Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Open up Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Open up Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armour of God. The truth is that we, we don't need some sense or feeling to know that God is speaking to us. One of the most powerful ways that God speaks to us today, and one of the the privileges that we have that someone like Noah didn't, was that God has revealed himself through the person of Jesus. And we believe as Christians that God speaks to us by using the Bible, by using these scriptures. So I would encourage you that if you're, you're finding hearing the voice of God difficult, if you don't know what it means, then spend time engaging with the Bible. Spend time trying to experience God through the words that are written in the Bible. So I'm not saying that God never speaks to us personally and specifically, but I think sometimes we can get a little caught up with what is God saying to me about whether or not I should um, go to the shops tomorrow, about whether or not I should do this course, about whether or not I should do this thing. And I think it's important that we pray for those things. But often we miss the commands and the promises that he's already given to us in the Bible. Okay, so where are you at? Maybe, um, like Noah, you, you've, you feel like you've got a good sense of what God is saying to you, where you should be at the moment. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you don't really know what it means to engage with the voice of God. Maybe you're sceptical about the whole thing. Do you take time to listen to God? Do you take time to persevere in prayer in engaging with the Bible. Maybe, I think some people may be in a similar position to me, that actually they feel like God has um, given them, has been um, very generous to them and put them in um, really great places of influence. But actually, building it up is quite difficult and it was maybe more difficult than you thought it might be when God called you to it. And so I'd like to encourage you to keep going, but I'd also like to pray for you. And to encourage you to remind, uh, to remind you to, to keep walking with God through that. So the band are just going to play, play quietly. Um, and I'm just going to pray for us. It might be that you're the person that, um, that really wants God to speak to you. And one thing that I will say is ask. Right? If we don't ask God to speak to us, he never will. Um, and that might not be as you expect. It might not be a booming voice from heaven. But if we don't ask God, if we don't engage with God, we can't ever expect to hear his voice. So we're just going to take a bit of time to remind ourselves of who God is and to remind ourselves of the things that he's already said to us in the past, the things that he's said to us in the Bible. And we're going to ask God that he would speak to us afresh this afternoon. So I'll just pray for you now. Father God, I thank you that you are a faithful God, 
a God that loves us and desires to be in relationship with us. And we know that uh, we don't get it right all the time. And we come this afternoon into your presence and ask you to forgive us for the things that we've done that have not been about pursuing your will and pursuing relationship with you. Lord, and we ask that you would speak to us afresh. Remind us of those things that you have called us to, of those places that you have placed us. And encourage us to keep going, even when it's difficult. And Father God, I, would, I ask that you would speak to every person in this room, whether that is through reflecting on some piece of scripture, or whether that is something that you speak into their hearts, or maybe through a conversation of a friend after the meeting. But I pray that we would be active in hearing your voice, that we would be people that know your word and respond to it with obedience. I pray that we could learn things from the story of Noah, this man who is held up as someone that is righteous, someone that walked with you and someone that had true faith in you. Lord, we ask that you would give us more faith and we ask that you would make us more like your son, Jesus. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.